0: When I think of uh, the subject of stewardship, which Paul has been addressing in 2 Corinthians for two chapters, I uh, remember the old story about a pastor who served in a small farming community many years ago. And the practice of the congregation was when it came time for the annual pledge campaign, Uh, it was the pastor's responsibility was to go to the house of each parishioner and ask for their pledge for the next year. Well, as uh, the pastor was working his way through the list, the next home on uh, the list was that of old Farmer Brown. Farmer Brown was uh, known in uh, the community to be uh, very frugal with his finances, if you know what I mean by that. So the pastor asked Farmer Brown, he said to him, "Uh, if you had two brand new tractors, would you be willing to give one of them to the church? farmer brown said oh yes pastor if i had two brand new tractors i would gladly sell one and give the money to the church well the pastor said farmer brown um, if you inherited hundred thousand dollars would you be willing to give one-tenth of that to the church oh yes said farmer brown i would give at least ten percent to the church The pastor said now farmer brown if you had two cows wait a minute pastor you know i've got two cows (laughs) giving is great in theory isn't it but how many are hesitant to actually give how many excuses people have invented for not giving how many people falsely assume to use the words of Jesus, that a person's life consists in the abundance of one's possessions. If you are a Christian, the Bible calls you to give. But far beyond that, much more than that, if you truly know Jesus Christ... By that I don't mean, are you religious, do you go to church from time to time, that sort of thing. What I mean is, if you have a genuine relationship with the Lord by heart, faith, and trust in Christ, you will want to give. And so Paul here in our text, as he comes to the last paragraph... Of two chapters worth of talking about offerings and stewardship and giving and those kinds of things Paul in the very last paragraph sets forth various incentives various encouragements various reasons for a believer to be a regular generous joyous giver and we looked at the first of these reasons these incentives two weeks ago when we looked at verse 6 where Paul makes the point that generous giving produces a generous reward. That's an incentive to give, that's an encouragement to give. And what did we discover? Paul writes, verse six, he uses the analogy of a farmer. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Then next week, we last week we noticed um, a second reason a second incentive, a second encouragement to be generous, and it was simply this. God takes delight in a person who's a cheerful giver. And here's the verse, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I made the point last Sunday that that is who God is. God never gives reluctantly. God never gives grudgingly. God gives with great joy, and if we can use the word of Paul here, God gives with great cheerfulness, and so he takes delight in his people when they reflect his character, when they too are generous, cheerful givers, because that's who he is, and it brings glory to his name. Then we began to look at a third incentive, a third reason, a third encouragement to be a joyous generous, regular giver, and we just began to touch on it last week, found in verses 8 through 10. We we focused exclusively on verse 8 last time. I want to read the entire little paragraph and focus on it in its entirety this morning. Here's what it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good work. And then he quotes from the Psalms to to, uh, buttress his point. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Then Paul writes, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The point of this paragraph is God provides whatever you need to be generous. If you have a heart to give, God will provide sufficient so that you might give. And we noticed last week that little adjective, all, in verse 8. It shows up five times. And and what is Paul's point in verse 8? Notice those little words, all. When all grace abounds in your life, which if we're saved through Jesus Christ, indeed all grace abounds to us. When God's all sufficiency is yours, you notice that second all, and when that all sufficiency encompasses all things in your life at all times, that encourages, that stirs, that equips you to give joyfully of your time, your energy, your finances, your talents, to worthy ministries, to those who are in need, not just once. But time and time again, God, the all-sufficient one, has granted us all things so that we can abound in every good work, which in the context speaks about giving, stewardship. God causes us to abound in all things so that in every opportunity God puts in front of us, we can be a generous giver. And then Paul supports what he has to say with quoting from Psalm 112 in verse 9. Let's look at the psalm and where this phrase occurs in Psalm 112. The psalm opens with a note of praise, praise the Lord, and then you notice this declaration, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It doesn't mean, as I'm sure all of you know, to be in terror of God. But it means to reverence him, it means to respect him, it means to be in awe of him. He is our Lord and our King and our Savior, and we fear him with a childlike reverential fear, the way a child would, if I can use the word, would fear a parent. Not that the parent is going to strike the child, but out of reverence and respect for the love and the kindness that mom and dad show. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. And how is that person described? The person is described as one who obeys God. Did you notice that? One who greatly delights in his commandments. That's what marks a true Christian. One who obeys God, one who delights in God's word. And so following that opening promise of the psalm, one who fears the Lord and describing what it means to fear the Lord is to walk in his ways, Then the psalm goes on to describe the specifics of the blessing that comes to the person who honors and joyfully obeys the Lord. And you can notice that in verse 2 and verse 3 into verse 4. For our purposes this morning, I want to pick up the reading with verse 4 down through verse 6. End of verse 4. The psalm writer says, "...he is gracious, merciful, and righteous." It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved, he will be remembered forever. Notice again the character of one who fears the Lord. Notice the end of verse 4. One who fears the Lord, one who is in a right relationship with God, that person's character is marked by what? By grace and by mercy And by righteousness, the end of verse 4 says. And verse 5, that graciousness, that mercy, that compassion, that's something on the inside and it will inevitably show up on the outside in various concrete ways. You notice what verse 5 says. The person who is in a right relationship with God, what's in the heart will show up outwardly. He deals generously the psalm writer says he lends, he seeks fairness, he seeks justice in all of his dealings. And so the bottom line is a person's generosity is actually a person's righteousness in visible form. What's on the inside shows itself on the outside. And you notice what God's promise is in verse 5, it says namely that it is well with the righteous person, the generous person, exactly what Paul has been saying. And then you come down to the quotation, the end result of it all, is in verse 9. So you understand the context out of which Paul draws this quotation. Verse 9, which is the verse that Paul quotes in our text in verse 9, the psalm writer says, "...he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor..." His righteousness endures forever. Whether or not a person's righteousness, his kindness, his giving, is acknowledged in this life, it doesn't ultimately matter. So you give the cup of cold water. We saw that in the second reading. Who notices that? Who really cares about that? But God remembers. God rewards, the psalm writer says. And because that is so, what one does out of a heart of graciousness and mercy out of a relationship with God, those things endure forever. In that regard, several passages come to mind. Uh, One I cited uh, a couple weeks ago from Matthew 25, the passage on the sheep and the goats. The goats on the left, the sheep on the right. And the king says to the sheep on the right, enter into the kingdom. It's a glorious invitation. Enter into the kingdom. Why? Jesus says, because I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked, you provided clothes for me. I was sick, you spent time helping me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will say, when did we ever do that? When did we ever see you in such circumstances? And verse 40, the king will say to them, As much as you've done it unto the least of these my brothers, you've done it unto me. Enter the kingdom. A person's righteousness, kindnesses, giving, is remembered before the Lord forever. A generous person's righteousness endures forever. That visible evidence of a life that is grounded in the gospel and centered in Christ. There's another passage, Revelation 14 and verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They rest from their labors and their works follow after them. When you go home to be with the Lord, the righteousness which you have done, to use the phrase in the sense it's used in the psalm, In the sense Paul uses it, that follows you to that place that's been prepared for you. Blessed are the dead. They rest from their labors and their works follow after them. Their righteousness endures forever. And so Paul in this passage, here is his point. God provides everything you need to be generous, whatever your circumstances. Let me tell you two stories. They are personal stories. And as I put the message together this week, I debated whether I would tell either one of them. And I'm hesitant to tell them because I don't want to be misunderstood. I tell them simply to say that what this verse, what these verses say, God provides what you need to be generous Laurel and I have found from personal experience that the promise is true. And so I hope you will hear the stories in that spirit. I tell them to the glory of God. Back in September, here's the first story of 1985, September 1st to be exact, I began my uh, pastoral ministry at Word of Life Lutheran Brethren Church in Lesour, Minnesota south of the Twin Cities, southwest. As Laurel can verify, we had very little money. The previous year, I hadn't worked at all because I was finishing up my graduate work and spent my whole time finishing that up, and so she worked to earn money for us during that year. I received a call to come to the congregation, and uh, the salary package, the entire salary package was $18,000. That was base pay. That was housing allowance. That was auto allowance. That was pension. There would be no luxuries. Laurel has mentioned many times we couldn't even afford to buy the kids a popsicle, and that's not an exaggeration. And so we would need to keep our expenses to a bare minimum. And the Lord provided for us. Uh, To begin with, we were able to rent an old uh, wood frame, white, two-story house. It was just a little over $300 for the month. It was old. It was drafty. We would take the plastic in the winter and, you know, use the hair (laughs) dryer and put it on the windows to try to keep some of the cold out um it did have a drawback it had bats in the ceiling and in the and in the uh, walls at least one of the walls the ceiling over the kitchen you could hear them at the kitchen table crawling around uh over your head uh, but it, it was had plenty of room it was only a couple blocks from the church and it was just a little over 300 dollars. so that was good uh we had a car <clears throat> not the not the latest and the greatest but it uh, got us where we needed to go. It cost me $500 to buy it. Uh, It was an old uh, 1970s-era Plymouth Valiant, and it had been used by uh, the U.S. Department of Soil Conservation, so it was government green, and it was faded, and they peeled off the letters off the door, U.S. Department of Agriculture, but you kind of took the paint with it so you could still read it. Um, The car had no radio, had no air conditioning, had no carpeting, had uh, some hard vinyl seats. But we had a car to drive, which most of the time got us where we wanted to go, not always. And we had a place to live. But our income was on uh, such a level that we qualified for government welfare programs. And so I'm not ashamed to say we had to take advantage of one of them to make ends meet. And uh, the one that we took advantage of was the WIC program, women, infants, and children. Some of you may be familiar with that. And so we received uh, food assistance, um, cheese, dry cereal, beans, those kinds of things. And so we had what we needed. We had a place to live. We had a car. We had enough food. And I can tell you from a human standpoint, when it came to giving to the work of the Lord, we would have had every reason not to give or to give next to nothing. Um, The church was a home mission startup. They didn't have much money. They weren't trying to be stingy. But they didn't have much money. Here we are, a low-income family of three. Karen was not quite a month old when we started. Next year, there were four of us. We needed every dollar we could get our hands on. But we believed on the basis of Scripture as a matter of conviction. That no matter how limited our income might be, God had called us to at least tithe of our income. In fact, over many years of marriage, 44 years now, we have firmly believed that whatever money we earn, however small the amount, it goes to the Lord first. We don't say, let's spend it and see if there's anything left. It's like we give to the Lord. And then we see. And that has been our conviction. That has been our priority. Why? Because we believe that in Jesus Christ, we have more riches than we can count. We have riches that moth and rust cannot corrupt. Thieves cannot break through and steal. We have been eternally blessed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, out of grace abounding to people like us, we want to share our resources with others as God enables us. And we have found over 44 years of marriage that God has always, always, in capital letters, supplied our needs. We've always had enough to live on, we've always had enough to pay our bills. He's enabled us to continue to give. God provides what you need to be generous if you have a heart to be generous. Let me tell you the second story that illustrates what Paul is talking... Because what I'm trying to say to you is I'm not talking theory here. I'm saying from personal experience these things are true, that Paul writes. In 1991, I accepted a call to teach at... um, the Free Lutheran Seminary and Bible College in Minneapolis. I'd been teaching part-time. The elders, when I was in LaSour, gave me permission to take my day off to drive up there. And so I'd teach all day Tuesday on my my day off and then come back. And um, so I'd I'd been teaching a little bit part-time, and um, they called me full-time. The opportunity was great. I was going to be professor of historical theology, which is a fancy way of saying teach church history, which was my graduate degree. And so uh, joyously uh, entered into that new calling, uh, but money remained tight, salary was relatively low, the cost of living much higher in the metro area. And besides that, out of conviction, we had enrolled our children in a Christian school. And so to make ends meet, we worked four jobs. Laurel and I each worked a full-time job and each of us worked a part-time job in addition and my part-time job was uh, was pastoring on the weekend so there was a little free lutheran congregation 30 miles almost on the nose directly south of alexandria minnesota the nearest town terrace minnesota population 26 And so on Sundays, I would drive out to this little church. I'd leave the house about 4.30 in the morning because with a busy teaching schedule, I didn't have enough time during the week to really work on the Sunday message. So I wanted to get there early to church so I could put in a little bit more work on the Sunday morning message. So I'd leave the house about 4.30. I would teach confirmation class during the Sunday school hour, led the morning worship service, was usually invited out someplace to eat, did a little visiting. And I'd head back and I'd arrive at home about 5 o'clock in the evening. Well, I had a, by this time I didn't have my Plymouth Valiant anymore, I had a a little four-cylinder Buick Century, which I'd gotten used, which had a lot of miles on it when I bought it. And um, because of the distance to drive out to this little church, it was over 100 miles each way. And so in the course of a year, not including going out for funerals or weddings or Lenten services or those kinds of things, I put on over 10,000 miles a year just driving back and forth to church and then plus I would commute to my uh, job every day using the same vehicle and so the miles were piling up, uh, had all kinds of mechanical problems, one of the more minor ones the radio would go out but if you smacked the dash real hard above the radio it would go back on, uh, that, was, that was one of the lesser sorts of things that was going wrong with it uh, and it ended up being the cost of repairs was way more than the value of the car. And so I didn't dare take it out on the road anymore. There was a colleague of mine that says, I'll I'll take it, I can maybe do something with it. So I sold it to him for a hundred bucks. Well, I needed another vehicle, so I bought um, a Chevy Lumina van. And I had no money to buy it with, so I had to take out a loan bigger than I wanted. And so finances were, were tighter than ever. Well, what can we cut? Oh, we can cut our giving, pretty sure. You know, I'm in debt because I need a reliable vehicle to do God's work. And so since I'm doing God's work and the vehicle is used to go to church on Sunday and it's used for my job and teaching, why? I'm giving already. That's not the way we thought. We determined that whatever the expenses were, additional ones, we were still going to honor and worship the Lord through our finances. We believed he would provide for us. Well, I hadn't been driving out to this little church uh, it's a little church called Scandia Free Lutheran Church. I uh, hadn't been driving out there for too many Sundays in my Lumina van, when uh, a couple said, "Want to talk to you after church." And so, you know, there weren't a lot on a Sunday. A good Sunday, we'd have like 35, something like that. And uh, so they waited till everybody was gone. I can still picture the back of that little sanctuary. And uh, they walked up to me and they handed me a card. And they said, Thank you for driving out here week after week over these years. We're just a little church, we're a handful of people. We appreciate you taking the time to come out and minister to us. So we want to give you something. And they said, We recognize that you had to buy another vehicle because you've been serving us. Here's a card. And so when I got home, I uh, opened the envelope to read the card and out fell a check for $5,000. In today's money, it would be over $10,000. Check for $10,000. And the little note in the card said, use this to pay off your car loan. I'll never forget it. When it comes to giving... What does Malachi say? Put me to the test, the Lord says. Put me to the the test. Give the tithe, give the offering, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing that you can't even take it in. I hope you understand the spirit in which I've told these stories. God is faithful. God is faithful. He provides everything you need to be generous. If you have a heart to be generous. And so my challenge to you is, will you put him to the test? Will you live a life marked by generous giving? Knowing the title of my sermon this morning. So that what God has entrusted to you, you can turn around and with joy and with cheerfulness, yes. Give to his work and give to minister to those who are in need. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, no one can outgive you. Even if we gave away everything we had, we're the whole realm of nature mine, and we could give that. That would be way too small. So we don't give by way of repayment. We don't give out of obligation. We don't give out of coercion. We give because we understand what you have truly given to us. Gifts which cannot be ever taken away. Gifts which are not left behind when we leave this world. And so, Lord, uh, you've given each one of us different talents, different spiritual gifts. Uh, Each one of us is in a different place economically. Some have a lesser amount of funds. Some of us have more. But whatever it is, Lord, you've entrusted us with what is your will for us, what you desire for us to have. And then, Lord, for us to recognize that we are simply stewards of these things and that we can have the joy of what you have given to us, none of which we earn, none of which we deserve, but we can turn around and give it to others and make a difference. What greater joy is there? than to see our lives making a difference for eternity in the work of your kingdom, in the lives of others. And so, Lord, for each one here, what, what giving looks like will be different for each person. How you prompt us to give, the ways you prompt us to serve. We're all unique people, and you call each one of us in unique ways. But whatever it is, Lord, may we be faithful to your calling. And then we will indeed find you to be faithful in all things. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.